Dang it. What was I saying? The human dongle. Oh, get your finger out of my eye. Way better now that you've stopped touching it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I was... Where the wind comes sweeping down the plain And the waving wheat can sure smell sweet When the wind comes right behind the rain Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back You should leave that in, you don't ever sing I know, we'll see what happens <laughs> Welcome back to Oakla Said It is the official Oakla Ed podcast we are behind again, Scott. You know, it's the whole beginning of school situation. So that's why they, you got the welcome back hotter version from me this time, which will never happen again. So, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and that's the reason why I teach and not sing. You just heard it. Oh, well, dang it. I, I teach. So, uh, but you sing, you sing good. That means too. I shouldn't sing. No, you're okay. fine. Well, you are Scott Hazelwood. And on the Twitters, you are teach from here. That's I right. am. Aaron Barnes, and on the Twitters, I am ebarnes73. Follow us, follow the chat at Oklaset. Yep. Uh, this week's chat was hosted by Miss Tina Kirkpatrick. Yeah, at Mrs. K, Mrs. Underscore K Pat. I believe she's had a title change because I think she used to do district ed techie stuff in prior. Uh, and now she's in the sixth grade math and science teacher. So. Okay. Okay. Well, she is, uh, her topic was evidence-based teaching strategies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, I had to be like, oh gosh, we got to get all pedagogy up in here. That's uh, nothing uh, wrong with some pedagogy. <laughs> but it was, it was a really good chat. Uh, there were some funny tweets that came from it and some very uh, great informative tweets that came from it. So She is... Uh, I I don't know how to say this. She's basically a Google genius. So if you're listening to the chat in your Google (laughs) district and and you want to do googly stuff, like call Tina, tweet her, get a hold of her, and have her come work with your district. Because if you want to do it in Google, she'll show you how. And she's got the good. Yeah, like she's brilliant. So there you go. Uh, Shall we dive in? Let's do it. Question one. What are some specific educational strategies used in your school that have positively impacted student achievement? Um, I mean, there's all kinds, right? I just threaten kids. Look, learn this or I'm going to rip your head off and poop down your neck. (laughs) Wow, that sounded really nasty. That's not what I do. I'm just kidding. Well, Sherry Gately does not do that. She no, says, "Thank goodness." That's why she's a Teacher of the Year uh, uh, potential Nominee. person. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, she says we have really pushed literacy and reading in every content area. We have math teachers, art teachers, etc., buying in and having students read articles that tie into their curriculum. It's awesome, and I think that that's a great way to promote literacy. I love that. I think that's really great too. Now, I. I I, I do have one thing on. Give it to on, me. On this. Um, uh, I had open house last night with one of my children. I am going to be completely vague right here because uh, I don't want to call out any. Uh, I don't want to step on any toes. But uh, in the social studies class, the and the teacher shared that after spring break in social studies, they will start working on math so that the math teacher can have support for the state 
assessment that the students have to take. Yeah, I see you furrowing your eyebrows. And yeah. and, and at that point in time, I'm like, and I don't think Sherry's saying that with her tweet, but that's what it reminds me of. Like, we're stopping teaching this subject, which is important. We're gonna, we're gonna stop and from spring break through most of April, we're gonna practice another subject with a teacher that's not certified to teach that thing anyway. Yeah, Sorry. no, that gets that gets pretty tricky. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that sort of situation, um, but uh, I digress because I think if you can get everybody working together, like what Sherry's talking about, that's that's a different deal. Anyway, sorry, right? I, I accidentally got on my soapbox. I'm a little ruffled. Um, this is your platform. Go oof. ahead. Uh, now I went with Christy Cooper, who, by the way, got honored by KFOR. Yes, that which was wicked was, awesome. Yeah, that was wicked awesome. Um, and she said. Oh, she's at Chris Coop 80. She said, in our school, we have PLC's collaboration eagle time when used properly. In my classroom, I have students lead discussions and lessons. I like student led. Mm -hmm. Good deal. Uh, question two, classroom environment directly impacts learner engagement. How can we create classroom environments to keep learners interested and engaged? Hashtag Oklaed. Now, uh, Tina, added Hattie's effect to her tweets. Boom. I yeah. like, I know when I, I was like, what is this? And then I, I was looking it up and I was like, oh, she so, just brought in some old stuff. Like that was really cool. These, I mean, so, so she, stuff. right. So she added effect size based off of Hattie's research. Now we can have a discussion about Hattie's research later, whether you like it or not, or if it's done correctly or, or whatever. But for the most part, uh, just in a quick sum up, what Hattie has tried to do is analyze thousands of uh, documents of research into educational practice to try and determine effect size of a variety of things. So in this sense, in, in effect sizes uh, have different things, but if you get an effect size of one, that's, that's huge. Um, that's a huge positive impact, like huge. And if you get an effect size of like say negative one, that's huge in a, in a, in the other way, like that's yeah. a bad, that's a bad, not good. Yeah, that's bad. So uh, for this particular tweet, Tina said that boredom is a negative 0.49 uh, um, size and, and effort is 0.77. So those, those are two opposite ends of the spectrum. And, and what it's saying is boredom has a huge negative impact on learning and effort has a large positive impact on learning. So I there you go. Like it. Who did Based you on pick? Size. So I picked Kyle Hilterbrand. He's at Kyle Hilterbrand. He said it starts with the teacher's planning. The teacher should have strategies in place to engage students from the start of class to the end. Teachers should always apply real-world examples in every lesson. A variety of questioning techniques is key as well. Yes. I liked what Renee Bell had to say. She said, "If you aren't enjoying what you're doing." they aren't enjoying what they learn my yeah. atmosphere is <laughs> yeah uh my hello just read that again for those that didn't hear okay. it in the okay. back just, you didn't hear you didn't hear what i said okay it says uh if you aren't enjoying what you're doing they aren't enjoying what they learn <laughs> boom she says my atmosphere is one of family and i'm the school mama we laugh we get things done we follow the rules oh yeah and we laugh some more thank you renee oh awesome yeah, that's great. 
Uh, question three, what's the difference between feedback and grades? When would you use each? Uh, hashtag Ed, feedback is a 0.74 on the Hadley scale. Uh, pretty impactful feedback. Yes. Uh, uh, go I, ahead. I loved my tweet here. Here's your, your tweet? Yeah, I, I, I didn't put my Tell tweet in here, said. but I loved my tweet. Tell me what I, you said. I really liked my tweet. Uh, it said, grades, what do I have to do to get a 95%? Okay. Yeah. Because that's yeah. what the question is. How do I get to the next level up for every kid? Like I've I've got a fifty nine. How do I get to a sixty? Or I've got an eighty nine. How do I get to a you know? That's the grade. The feedback is what can you do to improve your learning? I like it. That was yeah. a really good tweet. Why didn't I choose that one? I don't know. Because okay. we we try really hard not to pick each other's tweets for this. Because we like each other, and yeah. it's so much fun to talk. We're trying about. to recognize our colleagues who are way more brilliant than we will ever be. Yes. Well, speaking of brilliant, Carrie Hicks, she said, "Feedback is critical for helping students grow." I love to use grades to show how much a student has learned in a unit or in an academic year. Using baseline data or pre-assessments uh, with each data set is powerful for students to see how they are achieving. But how are they growing? Through feedback. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I went with Michelle Waters here. Yeah. She said... Feedback in the form of action statements promotes learning. Grades are often viewed by students as labels. They stunt growth. Mm, yes. Agreed. Uh, you know, there's just a whole bunch of stuff we could talk about with grading and feedback. <laughs> <laughs> you were waiting for that, weren't you? <laughs> like, you could see me thinking. Whether I get into this or if I just stay out, we got things to do. Let's get through this chat. Aaron was patiently making eye contact with me I, through Skype, waiting. Your your face go from like we're white and it's like turning. It's ombre. It's turning red <laughs> as we. <laughs> no. The whole learning. It's tough. it's all about learning. It's all about learning. Uh, so along those lines, one of the things that um, is happening with my daughters this year at their school is uh, it appears that. And this, this is a new policy, but it appears that the actual learning of the stuff is going to be separated out in grading from uh, classroom behaviors and other sorts of things. Yeah. So, so they'll get a grade for that and a grade for the actual learning process. So I'm anxious to see how that plays out. And um, I, I know there's that delicate line we walk as teachers between uh, giving a zero or marking something off late when it comes in late. You, you know, that's that's a difficult decision we all wrestle with. Um, but I'm anxious to see how this sort of plays out in, into that. You know, are we actually grading the learning now uh, and not attaching that responsibility piece to it? Well, and and so even in, in my own house, uh, my husband and I go back and forth on this. Like, you've got to teach them responsibility. You've got to tell right. them this is due on Monday. If it's not here on Monday, you lose 10 points or you lose, you know, whatever it is. Um, and I get that too. But I, I'm just like, but what are you asking for? What mm -hmm. is it done? And so, you know, even even here, uh, the two of us can kind of get into it, go back and forth on on what is it that we're grading and should there be a whole separate grade for responsibility? And can you tie, you know, I don't know, so much of your grade into the responsibility piece versus taking off for 
late work yeah, or because that's, whatever. that's where it becomes the grade and not the feedback situation. So right. if I turn in a perfect paper, but I turn it in a couple days late, because it took me a couple days longer. Now I get the best I can get is an 80, but maybe I did it exactly 100% correct. You know, then that 80 doesn't represent my actual learning. Right. So. All right. Yeah, I get it. I know that that's a hard question. I'm not trying it's to stoke that question. fire, but I am going to stoke the question for fire. Question four, how can we make time to provide the valued, valuable feedback on higher order thinking and or what are some time-saving strategies that can be used? Uh, question mark. Hashtag Oklahed feedback point seven four. So that sounds important. So it's a uh, it's pretty, pretty big deal. Uh, there are a variety of ways to do this. Um, and they, you don't have to go through and actually read every single line of every single paper and provide copious amounts of notes this was a good sentence yeah this was not a good sentence i mean it could be as simple as walking around with you through the classroom and talking with your students on what they're working on and providing feedback during that learning process right but be specific i got a paper back uh just a few weeks ago that said interesting i'm like interesting good or interesting <laughs> bad <laughs> like what do you mean <laughs> must have a bit more poor favor <laughs> <laughs> so feedback is good and i like reading the notes that somebody gives me but that didn't help me at all right i went with anyway. terry saul here he's the superintendent in northeast i can't remember the eagles he's the eagles i can't remember which district it escapes me at the moment but he said some of the best immediate feedback can simply can simply be observing and making comments as you walk around the room or stopping for quick help. That's, I mean, that's great. That that basically says exactly what you said a second yeah, ago. Yeah. I went with Steve Gilliland on this one. He says, I think it's important to know the student and understand what kind of feedback they would best respond to. All feedback should not look the same. And I totally agree with you, Steve. That's, I, I like your tweet here and that is important. Some, some people like a lot of praise. Um, some people want quiet feedback. Some people, you know, uh, interesting is enough for them, <laughs> maybe. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, so I, I think what he has there is uh, it's just taking personalized learning to another level and you're giving personalized feedback. And I, I like that tweet. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Q5. Question five. What do all your, sorry, what do your learners do with their feedback? Uh, do they interact with it? How do they learn from it? Uh, hashtag Oakland feedback point seven four. Pretty like, big wow, effect. That's another one. Big one. Okay. Deborah Thornton says, LOL. <laughs> this is a loaded <laughs> question and I totally agree with her. Like, you know, because what do, what do they do? I don't know. Sometimes they may twiddle their thumbs with it or, or, you know, I don't know. Anyway, she says, uh, some students thrive and take the feedback as a personal invitation to do better. Others glance at it and ask whether they can throw it away. <laughs> Actual feedback, not just connections, usually gets some sort of attention. I went to a, a workshop once and, and the lady that was walking us through this was talking about feedback and she said, you want your feedback to matter? Don't put a grade on the paper. Bam. That's like, that's pretty genius. Just put your comments in there. Give them the feedback, but don't put a grade. No, I, I mean, I really like that. Man, especially in today's age of um, docs and... Um, um, you know, word and, and, you know, all, all of the, the techie sort of things, um, the revision process 
is not uh, super in depth. You know, it, it is a standard that needs to be um, uh, assessed, and mm-hmm. and we. I mean, it's it's literally a separate from. Um, the writing process, the revision process, you know, uh, the the proofing and stuff. And uh, I, I told Travis the other day, I was like, man, these kids don't know. We were master writers. Like, we were master writers in middle school and high school. How many notes did you pass? Uh, you know, I've passed my share of notes around. Right. And so, but, but you... You needed to make sure if you were passing it to a boy or a girl that you liked, that it had good penmanship. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, and it needed the checkbox, yes or no. Yeah. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, like, we would write the note and we'd be like, oh, I don't know. Because if you mess up on the note, then you've got to start over and write another note, right? Because you don't – anyway. So we, like, wrote and then we rewrote and then we we fine-tuned so that it was ready to publish, i.e. pass. Right. to the person you know and and I, I was just telling him i thought we were master writers from back in the day so you know, I, when, I, never know. when i was a first year teacher i told kids because you know sometimes they can get distracted when the, the note starts in the back corner and works its way up to the front and oh yeah i said um you know i'm just gonna i'm gonna read these out loud if they come across me you know if i i'm not gonna try and dig them up but um you know if it becomes a, a situation where you can physically see the students moving as the note goes through, you know, like a hedgehog under the ground. Uh, yeah. So I picked one up one time and I just, I just started reading it and I didn't, I didn't just scan through it first to see if I should read it. <laughs> I started reading and I got one sentence in and I was like, Oh my goodness. <laughs> I, none of this should have been uttered out loud. It should have just been burned. <laughs> <laughs> should have been burned. <laughs> should have been a fire. <laughs> it was awkward for everybody. Uh, whoops. Yeah, rookie mistake, rookie mistake. Um, so I went with Kyle Hilterbrin on this one. He okay. said, we begin and end everything with the four questions. What do we want s- students to learn? How do we know when they have learned it? What do we do if they haven't learned it? And what do we do when they know it? Good question. Mm-hmm. What do we do? No, I'm just kidding. Okay, well, question six. Question six. We need to own our teaching, quote unquote. As Amen. much as our students need to own their learning, quote unquote. Amen. How can we guide and or motivate students to self-assess their learning and their progress? So this had a, an effect of 1.33. So this is pretty significant. Uh, yeah, I would say so. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, oh, would, oh, it was it was ahead. self-reported grades had an had an effect size of 1.33. Well, I mean, I think if the kids are a part of the grading process. You know, they're going to, oh, I mean, every little check mark. Do you remember when you used to like self-assess your, your like, okay, like pre-spelling test? Remember mm-hmm. like on Monday you'd get a pre-spelling test and right. if you answered all the questions correctly, then you didn't have to take the post-spelling test on Friday. Right. That's what it was in my, in my world. Like every one of those check marks, you're like, that's five more times I have to write that word. Yep. yep. That's like, and so it's like painful. And if you're part of the grading process, then, I mean, you know what you need to do like for the next time or, or whatever. So I, I think that that effect size could have probably been a two. (laughs) I knew, I knew a teacher that used to put on the top of the, of the, of his tests, he would write down, um, 
a spot, you know, it's like name, hour, and under that, he would write grade, and the students would put the grade they think they got on that test. And he told oh. the he told the students, if you're within, I think he gave them five percentage points. If you're within five percentage points of of the grade you earn from this test, then I will give you X number of bonus points. Wow. Okay. So so instead of the kids just coming through and writing down, I got a hundred, I got a, he, he made it worth something because if they could. If they could identify how well they thought they did, there was basically a perk for that. No, that's wow. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah, uh, really good. Todd Gregg says, "I think we have to start by sharing the end goal with them. What does success look like for this assignment or unit? How will they know when it's been met? Ha uh, we have to be transparent in those things." And mm -hmm. I, I think that that's perfect i mean like just randomly reading a chapter knowing that you have to like answer some questions at the end of it i don't know what that does but i don't know just giving them an end goal like all right by the end of this and i think that's probably why we started writing objectives on the board and everything else you know um they need to know what they're supposed to get out of this right and i and i get sometimes where we're asked as teachers to put objectives on the board or the different things you know um, but sometimes those objectives, especially if we just take it straight from the the Oklahoma State Department of Education website or straight from our teacher's edition textbook, uh, those are like adulty sort of words that we yeah. don't typically use with kids. So, and, and sometimes objectives too doesn't necessarily indicate exactly what I need you to do. Right. Like sometimes they're just vague-ish. But do we you know, know who, you know. Do you know who Tyler DeWitt is, uh, science guy, TED Talk guy? I think so, yes. Okay, so he has a TED Talk where he really goes into explaining like this virus inside of a cell. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it sounded like um, Guardians of the Galaxy, the way he was oh. explaining it. And he was like, you know, I had a job as a middle school textbook writer and it was the worst because we were not writing this content for middle schoolers. Mm -hmm. We were writing it for adults that were teaching these middle schoolers. And yeah. I, I was like, whoa, like that's right. Anyway. Yeah. That's all. Okay. Random insertion of story <laughs> to prove a point you were not really trying to make. <laughs> and that's why you keep coming back to this podcast. Right. All four of you. Got randomness. Question anyway, seven. Question seven. In order for learners to self-assess, they need to know what is considered proficient. How do you communicate the standards of proficiency to learners? Hashtag Oakland Self-reported grades, 1.33. Important. Man, I mean, this is where I go back and forth. I hate rubrics. And I know, I think it was uh, Miss Talanya that, that called me out or who? No, that was I, her. Okay, she called me out. She's like, rubrics are the thing. Don't do checklists. And I was like, all right. And we still haven't had that conversation. So I still don't know any better. She's but, writing a book, guys. So go buy it. Because it's going to be great. Yeah. What Do you know what it's going to be called? Something with um, project-based learning. Oh, and, my gosh. We need to do a whole other separate podcast for her. Thank you for letting me know that. Yeah. Anyway, I do think they need to know what profession is. I, I mean, I give the standard to them. We, we dissect the standard and talk about what it means or what they're looking for. You know, the State Department is looking for uh, when it comes to the standard. So, I mean, we talk about what proficient looks like and what a, a great project or paper or whatever is supposed to look like. But I hate rubrics. And so I'm in this weird 
um, purgatory. Of- you know, when I when I gamified my calc class, I told the kids that proficient for me was an eighty percent on any assessment. Okay. So so they knew what they had to do. And you didn't tie um, late work to that, so no. no. So um, you couldn't just sit and be a bump on the log like that. That wasn't allowed. Uh, and I had a couple kids that really struggled with that because kids. But when you took a test or took a quiz or whatever, if you didn't get an eighty, you got a chance to take it again without penalty. So I didn't like average out your two test scores. I took, I took, I gave you the opportunity until you got an eighty. And then after you got the 80, you can move on. Or you could take it again and try and improve your 80. Ooh, so, so just, you know, just depended on the on the person. But um, but that becomes, that's not necessarily self-reported, but they know then what's expected. And I, I'm sorry, if I get a 61 on something, yes, that's a passing grade. Did I learn it? No. Yeah. So, anyway. Well, I really liked what Vicki Donnelly had to say here. She said, I write the standards. I give them copies of the standards. I let them assess me on how I teach the standards. What did you learn? What can I do better? How can you apply this to your life? Woo. I really like that idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we kind of do that, but she takes it to a whole new level. Uh, I like the like the possible rewrite of the standards. Um, and then I love that they get to grade her on how you know, she presented it. That was great. Yeah, that's pretty good. I went with Steve Gilland here. He said, who determines what proficient really means? Just saying, look for growth. And I thought that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Because, and, and he's coming uh, at it from a principal that's, point I mean, that's of view. really interesting. Yeah. He's coming at it from a principal's point of view. You know, so it's a bit bigger picture than the classroom teacher who's worried about their, you know, just their kids. Exactly. But yeah, who's, who's saying that? Because when we look at some of our state assessments, it's not necessarily us that's saying it. Just tossing it out there. Question eight. <laughs> we often have the same learners wanting to answer class discussion questions. How can we make sure all learners are involved in the learning process during class discussion? Right. Hashtag Oakled classroom discussion point eight two. So okay. significant. Um, Adam Rogers says, and I, and I, you know, for my little introverts, I have to agree. He says, I don't like to force students to respond to questions. All students need to feel safe when they respond. Encourage them and actually listen to what they say. And I like that. But I, I mean, like, uh, Scott, can you tell me the answer to blah, 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 blah. I don't know. See, that does nobody any good. Right. Um, anyway, so uh, I... I get what she's saying here. We want all learners to respond. And I, I think I like the, um, have you ever seen in some of those classrooms where they have the little clickers and they mm-hmm. they all put their response, so they all do respond. Right. And then you've got a pair deck or something like that that says, good, 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 not good, check right. with this kid later, you know, type stuff. You could do, you could do something like plickers. Yeah, plickers. So plickers is, is a good way to do it anonymously. Uh, and then it lets you as the teacher know who's getting things right and wrong, and then you can talk with that student later. You can also use a, a platform called Padlet and put a question on there, and students can respond um, in that way. Padlet, everybody needs a device. Plickers, you actually print the card off, and, and the, the kids don't need anything except the card with their name on it. Right. So those, those two are easy right off the bat. They're both free. Um, I went with Angela Redmond. She's at Angela Redmond. She said, I ask them to share answers by 
uh, two example problems with a neighbor. That way everyone is talking to at least one person and the less confident math students can have reassurance that they are correct or they can see individually what went wrong. I went to pick that that first, just so you ha, know. Ha, ha, I beat you to it. it. Hashtag don't be a procrastinator. Yeah. Uh, well, question nine. What? No, no, that's you. Don't say it. Don't say the no, question. No, read it. I didn't say anything. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, do you use reciprocal teaching strategy? If so, what are your procedures or guidelines? How do you provide feedback? Hashtag Oakland summarization 0.79 reciprocal teaching 0.74. I liked what Becky Maldonado had to say here. She's running for Senate. Uh, she said, so I had to Google reciprocal teaching strategy. Um, <laughs> 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 she says, uh, no, not directly. I try to set up power structures in my class, even play the role of facilitator, not teacher. And I like that. Um, she tries She tries not to set up power structures. Oh, what I said she does. Yeah. yeah you, uh, you she forgot the knot. She sets up power structures. And <laughs> I'm like, Becky, oh my gosh, uh, Becky. Oh my gosh, Becky. No. Uh, sorry about that, Becky. Uh, she tries not to set up power structures in her class. So I, I liked her tweet because I, too, had to Google reciprocal teaching. Would you – do you remember what you Googled? Because I didn't Google reciprocal teaching. Uh, no, I don't remember what I Googled. But I, I, I can Google it real quick while you ask answer yours. So while Aaron's Googling reciprocal teaching, uh, there was this one time – no, I'm just kidding. We'll come back to reciprocal teaching so we all know what it's about in just one second. But first, I'm going to read question 10. Uh, the jigsaw method can be used to extend learning beyond the surface to a deeper level of understanding. How have you used or have seen the jigsaw method for instruction? What were the guidelines, procedures, and or products? Hashtag Ed jigsaw method 1.2 for Hattie's uh, effort uh, or for Hattie's um, impact. And the jigsaw is a way of utilizing groups so that the students move, can one, move groups, can two, identify by group, and can three, identify by student. In a, so in other words, you could have groups that are all colors, um, purple, green, yellow, orange, pink, and then in each of those groups, a student can be labeled one, two, three, or four. And so what you might do is ask a question and randomly choose a number, say four. So that puts all that puts all the number fours on a on on call that hey, it's possibly going to be me answering. And then you pull the color which then identifies the group and the and the single student. So that's 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 one way. I like the jigsaw method. Um Deborah Thornson says, uh, I've mostly seen this at PD, um, where it's been somewhat successful, but in class, it kind of depends on the subject. If we're talking grammar rules, that can seem pretty effective once they get it, uh, but it's harder with the excerpts, though. And so um, I think it depends on your level of understanding. Um, I, I can... I can see it and I can be like, oh, I don't know if that's going to be effective. Um, anyway, uh, I, I really liked uh, what she said because I was like, yeah, I, I can see it in some places, but maybe not all. It takes a, it takes a little bit of forethought and planning. It, it, and, and I just gave one way to jigsaw. There's, there's several, but you, you have to be – it's not something you can just be like, 
roll into when you walk into class. Like you got to give right. it some thought. Well, and just so you know, I did look up the reciprocal teaching. Oh, and okay. Let's this, go back to this that. This kind of has some. I mean, it, it it allows for the students to do some of the presenting of knowledge, right? Okay. And so with reciprocal teaching, you're taking um, an activity or um, some sort of like it, it's it's basically like discussions that allow students and teachers to have um, the same amount of involvement. The students are doing some of the teaching as well. And so with the jigsaw method, if you're assigning all the pinks, this type of thing, and then all the blues, this type of thing, and then they all converge, then the pinks have to explain to the blues and the purples and the reds what their component is, you know? So it's a little bit of that reciprocal teaching. It's putting some of the the ownership on the student. And I like that. Yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, Okay, so I went with Kimberly Blodgett. And she said, I enjoy the jigsaw method because it's important to have students work in cooperative groups. I love any strategy that allows students to learn new material from each other. Students don't just work with one group, but a home group and an expert group, which allows for differentiation. I like it. Yeah, it's good stuff. Question 11, do you have a favorite strategy? Feel free to share your resources, videos, or instructions. And this is what had me looking up the design thinking. Sherry Gately was like, love, 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 love design thinking. You know why she loves it? You know why? Tell me. She went to Stanford to their design thinking conference this summer. And so she's she's bought in. Yeah, I would love it too if I had that opportunity. So... (laughs) So take that, Sherry, and my sassy, you lucky son of a gun voice. Well, Sherry, I got to go to Harvard um, a couple of weeks ago. But you didn't go for their design thinking. But course. I really just walked around the campus. You know, <laughs> I, I didn't do anything but take pictures. So you're but you went to Harvard. You can get I went to Harvard. <laughs> I was like, oh, how do we get our kids into Harvard? I was, And then I went to dinner, just so you know, um, later that night, like, on Harvard Day, we went to dinner in Cambridge. Top on Harvard Day. On Harvard Day, um, and there was a group of very pretentious people talking behind me, and I was like, "This, we're we're not sending our kids to Harvard." <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Oh, oh my goodness! I'm so sorry, Josh Flores's wife. You're amazing. Uh, she went to Harvard. Oh, you know, I have a student right now who is working on her. She got accepted to the Harvard Business School for her master's. I'm sure they're not all pretentious, but they were having this conversation about what was your first job? (laughs) My first job was laying tar on the top of a roof. (laughs) That was the suckiest one day ever. (laughs) (laughs) My first job, job. What is that? (laughs) Job? (laughs) My daddy gives me the money. Look, we got to. Gosh, you've got to take all of this out. (laughs) You're the worst. I'm going to have to really do some serious editing on this podcast. But our blooper reel at the end is going to be as long as the podcast. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you picked a really great tweak because I almost picked it also. So I went with uh, Lauren Pena, and she's at Lauren underscore Pena sixteen. And this is the best answer of the night. I almost boom sauce this, but I thought nah. She said asterisk gets out notepad and steals all the ideas asterisk. I love it. I'm like, yes, because, you know, sometimes you don't have um, a teaching strategy that's, you know, that's evidence based. Like, you know, I goof around all the time with my teaching strategies. Um, But uh, I I liked what she she like. I don't know. Let's get out a pad and paper. And I could see Lauren doing that. 
just oh, based totally. off of our yeah. brief interaction with her at Ed Camp, I was like, "That's this seems like something she would be doing right now." Like exactly, feel like she's you know scratching away. So <laughs> there you go. There's the evidence based uh, tweet chat. Great use of vocabulary there, yeah. Scott. Yeah. Um, now at the bottom of the landing page for this podcast, which Aaron and I will not go into these tweets, but. Um, Tina shared several links to resources and I've included them on the landing page. So do That's check that out. Well, and then the next episode you're going to listen to, we'll have Steve Gilliland and he's going to be talking servant leadership. That's right. And that chat has already expired or been past that chat time, whatever. Uh, we, we are, you know, we're, whoops, whoops. That was my phone ringing this time. Um, <laughs> So anyway, but uh, please go back and review that because it was an excellent chat and there were a lot of uh, Dell City um, students involved. So that was cool. And we'll tell you more about it soon. Yeah, very soon. And uh, the next Oakland Ed chat occurs Sunday at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. Central Standard Time. And we hope you're there. All right. All right. All right, educators, you know what to do. Uh, go out and you dominate this Go out and year. dominate the world. Oh, the world. Dang it. I'll get it right. Only saying you're doing fine, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, OK.